reading this morning from the Gospel of our Lord according to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus was aware of their malice and said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then Jesus said to them, Whose head is on this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God said to Moses, You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I have a terrible confession to make. Well, not really so terrible, but here goes. Most of my Bible knowledge comes not from seminary, where I spent three long years, but from my vigorous upbringing in a church that took the Bible very seriously. So did my family, following my dad's godly leadership. We memorized verses in Sunday school, plotted through Bible passages during not always engaging sermons, and read the Bible and a devotional daily or more at family meals. I wasn't always appreciative then, but I surely am grateful now. I've been benefited monumentally in the years since, and obviously in the work that I do. One downside, maybe, maybe not. Some Bible passages that I read and heard read will always be heard by, say, the 12-year-old boy that is wedged in me. Like this one from Exodus. I almost always giggle when I hear that Moses wasn't allowed to see God's face, which one assumes was God's best side, but was privileged to see God's backside. Or use another word if you'd like. Excuse the boyish mentality, I hope. 
A difficulty is tossed into this topic when we humans hear that we are not allowed to see God or we would die. What about Jacob's wrestling with the man who turns into an angel who turns into God? Or other places where Moses sees God apparently face to face? Or Isaiah glimpsing God high and lifted up on heaven's throne? Or anyone seeing Jesus who was one with God? It's a conundrum, but I'm not hung up on it. I found a perspective on this passage, not in, uh, original with me, but it addresses the challenge and it provides me with one of my most important life lessons. The face and the backside duality come into play here, and it goes like this. God, in this understanding of Scripture, God did not state that Moses can't see God's face. Rather, Moses can't see where God faces. In other words, the future. Ke Sarah, what will be, is God's realm of knowledge, not humans. Knowing the future, God says, will certainly take the life out of life for humans. It kills us, as it were. And God protects us from that, because God created us and knows what we can take and what we can't take. We, Moses, and we all with him are privileged to see God's backside, or where God has been in history, in the world, in our lives. And our ability to move with confidence into the unknowable future God has in store for us as we are living our lives and as we are renewing church here requires us to observe, celebrate, learn from, and build on our experiences of God's faithfulness viewed in our rear-view mirrors. In the past, God's backside, where God has been. We don't coat those reflectors with a rose-colored film either. As my mother, two weeks in a row I've mentioned my mother, my dear departed mother, my mother would remind us when all of us would be together and and reveling in our family history, mom would stand up, and she was rather short, so you never really knew when she was standing up or not. Ha! She would say, those days weren't all that good. And she was right. But even mom, whose younger years were as tough and challenging as they come, was able to affirm, as I said last week, the Lord will provide because the Lord always had provided, even, even for mom. Not on mom's schedule, probably the only being in history that didn't provide on mom's schedule. Uh, but God is God. But in due time, in God's time. 
The lectionary which we most often follow points me to this passage today. Why do I believe this message holds value for us right now? For a handful of obvious reasons, which we have rehashed regularly of late. Unprecedented challenges and obstacles to normal life pop up on more than a daily basis. We are transitioning here as a community of faith through pastoral and staff transitions in the middle of a pandemic. Several really significant social, political, and cultural realities on which we base our everyday running around life are quaking mightily. Those things that we have come to rely on don't seem quite so certain as they once did. Granted, we acknowledge that some of the ways we've always done things are way past due for dramatic overhaul as a church, as families, as individuals, no doubt about it. Witness, for one, the systemic racism that we have at least honestly recognized even as we continue the long struggle to make things right. Witness for another, that we don't have hundreds of folks filling and milling in the halls of this lovely sacred space several days a week, but we have some here today, and what a joy that is. You get the point. I don't have to give you too many more examples. The future appears foggy in our sight. We could use a little divine insight on the matter. I certainly wish I knew when this will end. We sigh in unison. Actually, I'd like to suggest that we don't. Well, we don't want to know too much. Because as much as most of us value knowledge and science and all that, we wouldn't want to know everything. That would let the air of mystery and surprise and hope out of life. I value hope in my way of thinking way more than certainty. Hope has more to do with our humanity than knowledge, I believe. What reason would remain for waking up in the morning and imagining what new adventure I could embark on if I already knew? Or if in three weeks from now I would die of COVID-19? What would the knowledge of that do to me? Would I engage in vigorous political conversations if I knew one or the other candidate was going to win in two weeks and two days? Would I be able to bear it if I knew a loved one would die next March? What if I knew all of those things? I love to dig voraciously into many subjects, but I don't want to know for certain if I am right about this thing or that. 
nuance and mystery and hope feed my soul. More important than knowing that a light glimmers at the end of the tunnel is the certain assurance that God's Spirit accompanies me into life's dark passageways. Seeing where God has been with me infuses my heart with hope. Now, don't get me wrong. I howl with the psalmist, How long, Lord? Just like the rest of you do, pretty much on a daily basis. And God answers, You can't see where I'm facing. You do not want to know everything. You do know, you do know that I will be with you for as long as the journey through the tunnel takes. That's true of our life as a church as well. We have entered more vigorously into the next phase of our congregational discernment process. Most of you have received an online survey this past week by way of email, and over a hundred of you have already responded and returned that survey to us. A good old mailed document will float into the mailboxes of others this week. We are looking for your input into Third Church life to help us imagine at least a little about where God is facing as it relates to us. The mission study team is leading this process. Your comments will help them to shape the discussions that we will have with you going forward. So your thoughts really are, are what drive a major portion of this process. A big important chunk of my work has to do with getting you all to slow down and assess where we, you have been, which is directly related to where you are going as a congregation. You know where you've been. Where we're going is still a mystery, but we ask the questions just the same. Which taking that look about where we are going intimately associates with where you want to go and what kind of leadership you should embrace in your mutual effort to see where God is facing, to figure out what the future looks like at Third Church. I preach to myself, as I often say, and I let you eavesdrop on me because I suspect that my life is not that much different from yours. On my most anxious days, I want to know everything, and I want to know it now. And then I get a hold of myself, and I realize that I am not God. Praise the Lord for that. Knowing everything would kill me. Yes? I grumble and complain, usually in private, as we all do. I strain and stretch and look as far down the pike as possible, to no avail. God wants me to live and hope 
And when I'm straining and stretching to figure out exactly what the future has in store, a gentle force twists my neck until I see God's backside. I mean, where God has been. I see, I see, I see God carrying someone. Ooh, it looks like a pretty tough stretch in that person's life. Oh my, oh my. I recognize that time. I recognize that person. It's me. I was there, and God was with me. As we journey through this time, we will recognize and be able to celebrate in hindsight how God has carried us this year too. That I believe and I know. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.